Dear Father, we come. We're thankful for tonight. We're thankful for uh, our church. We're thankful for the fellowship. We're thankful for our food that we had tonight. I pray that you bless those that put an effort in to put that together. I, I pray now as we begin to study your word that it would truly matter. I pray that we would learn tonight, that we would grow tonight, that we would be built up as a people, as a church tonight. I pray for our, our little kids uh, learning a foundation, Lord, that's going to that's gonna have to stand, that's going to have to carry them in the midst of a messed up, cruddy world. I pray for our youth tonight, uh, learning the same thing, stacking on their foundation, building on that foundation. And then I pray for our adult classes tonight as well. I pray that uh, you are known, that, that you're able to speak, that you're pleased in what we do tonight. And again, I pray that we, that we are blessed and we grow as your people tonight. We pray in Christ's name, in Jesus' name, amen. Tonight, uh, we're continuing our study. We're in the 74th lesson uh, tonight we've moved into a section, we've moved into it the last uh, several weeks, probably month, uh, looking at the life and the ministry of Jesus. Uh, we're working through the gospel accounts. Our lesson tonight, if you've got your worksheet in the back, is entitled, How Now? How Now? Now that'll make a little more sense in just a second. Uh, our key verses are found in Matthew chapter 5, uh, tonight verses 1 through 12. I'm actually going to read those all together tonight and then we'll go back and, and piece them out and go piece by piece um, as we move through those. So our key verse is Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Let me go ahead and read that tonight as we begin. First, it says this, When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Verse 12, rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So again, that's our set of verses. Uh, we're we're going to break them down and go piece by piece through them. Our key point tonight is this. Jesus doesn't just call people to know and to trust him, he does do that. He's very deliberate in calling people to know him and to trust him, but that's not the end of it. Uh, that really is just the start. For those who trust him as their savior, he calls them then to follow him as their disciple. Now understand, uh, that is the natural result of the one thing. If you've trusted Christ, then you follow Christ as disciple. Really those two things are not separable uh, that, you, that you would trust Christ but not follow him as a disciple. So his intent is that. Uh, what that means is if you're going to live as a disciple, you're going to live as he showed us, as he illustrated to us, and as he tells us in his word. It is daily living uh, in the commands of Christ. Uh, in his grace, Jesus not only tells us what that looks like, and he is going to tell us what that looks like, but he also tells us the result of that, what will happen if we actually uh, do those things. These are, are a very interesting set of verses. I think we sometimes go too quickly over them. 
Uh, they're a very profound set of verses. First section on your worksheet for further instruction. Uh, this really is going to set up the context. Uh, Jesus has been preaching, has been proclaiming that he is the Messiah. That has been the mission that he is on. He has been using Old Testament scripture uh, to prove that, to validate that. Uh, more than that, on top of that, he's also been doing many miracles uh, also to validate those claims. And so he has been preaching. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He's also been doing many miracles to validate his claims. Uh, in, in, in really a, a pretty radical thing, uh, word about him rapidly spreads, and the number of people who count themselves as his followers, are, that number is very quickly growing. And so these folks hear who he claims to be. Many of them see the miracles. They see or hear him teach the scriptures that he is fulfilling, and they're following him as his disciples. Well, the question then becomes, well, what next? Okay, if this is who you say you are, and, and that is true, what is next? And so these disciples of Jesus are left trying to figure out what do we do now? How will the uh, claims of Christ impact their daily lives? Uh, here's, here's something to think about. The truth of who Christ is should impact our daily lives. Uh, if, he, if he is who he says he is, and if we believe who he says he is, it ought to change how we talk, how we think, uh, how we live, how we grieve, how we mourn. Uh, all of those things are changed by the truth of Christ. Well, in response to all of that, Jesus calls his followers together and he gives them very specific instructions. Okay, you're following me, you're trusting me, then here's what it's going to look like to follow me as Lord. Uh, this particular occasion has, has come to be known what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it starts here in Matthew chapter 5. It goes to the end of Matthew chapter 7. If you read the Sermon on the Mount, uh, you're going to see these are the instructions of how to live uh, as a follower of Jesus Christ. What does it mean? What does it look like? Go read the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus himself tells us in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, I want you to think about us today. Uh, we, we, we have this in context, uh, but it's also going to speak to us tonight, uh, prayerfully speak to us. Think about us tonight. We live in a really a strange place uh, between the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ, the ascension of Christ. Uh, he has defeated Satan. He's paid for sin. He is the victor. He is the risen Savior. He's ascended and gone to heaven. But here we are in the, in the day that we're living. Uh, he has not come back yet. Uh, we're living in a day when there is still sin. There are still problems. Uh, there are still the consequences of sin. And we're waiting on Jesus to come back. Well, for us, we still live in this place where the question is, so what's next? Uh, what's next for us? You've decided to follow Christ. What does that mean for you? Well, we also need to know what Christ expects from us. Uh, if we're going to live as his father, we need to know what that means. Well, the good news is the same message that was to them informing them what's next uh, also speaks to us and leads us uh, in, that, in that endeavor as well. Next section in your worksheet, Seeking God's Approval. Uh, the section that we're going to look at tonight, it's, it's actually the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is the broad sermon, the big sermon given to instruct them. And our 12 verses are just the introduction to uh, the Sermon on the Mount. 
Very quickly, you may have already noticed it, uh, each point starts with the word blessed. Uh, it, it's funny, if, if you're reading King James, it's hard not to say blessed, and I think sometimes I go back and say blessed are these folks, but it, if you notice each time it starts with the word blessed. Uh, sometimes this section is called the Beatitudes. Uh, you've probably heard to, to it referred to as that. Uh, that is a Latin word for blessings. Um, the word blessed, and this is going to be pretty interesting for us as we look at the verses, it means or it translates those who are or will be happy. And so this really is a recipe uh, for us to be happy. Those who are or will be happy. Those who are in a good or fortunate position or those who are to be congratulated because of God's approval of their position. Uh, very simply, these are the attitudes or the actions that please God. And if we're found doing these attitudes, holding these attitudes and carrying out these actions, God is pleased with us and we are what is considered blessed. Sometimes folks say, well, I'd like to be blessed or I'd like to be blessed like that. Uh, on, the, on the internet, people put hashtag blessed. Well, actually, if you want to be blessed of God, God says, these are the attitudes and the actions that will result in your being blessed. And so it's really a recipe for that. That also should be our goal. I want to be living in a way that pleases God to the extent that I am blessed, I'm in his favor as he sees how I'm living. Notice, if you remember the apostle Paul, it's later on, he one time asked the question, whose approval do I seek? man's or God's? Well, as we study the Beatitudes, we're going to kind of have to think in those lines. Whose approval am I seeking? Man's, the world's, my own or God's approval? Uh, we're, we're going to see as we go through these verses that the things that bring the approval of God, notice this, they're actually going to be exactly opposite of what the world approves of. And I think that's very interesting. What we're going to find uh, is actually opposite of what the world uh, approves, what the world promotes, what the world cheers. Uh, in fact, most of the time, you're going to notice this, if we look like these things, uh, the world is so dead set against these things uh, that we end up being opposed by the world, even violently opposed by the world. I think it's interesting. Sometimes we think, if I will look like this, man, the world's going to love me. If I look like this and do these things, everybody's going to have, man, what a great opinion they're going to have of me. It's actually the opposite of that. The things we're going to see are opposite of what the world values, what the world teaches, what the world uh, approves of. As we head into the verses, we ought to know this up front, so let me just go ahead and read these things. As we head into the verses, we should know these things up front. First thing is this, there is great blessing in subscribing to God's way. Uh, we ought to remember that. We ought to say that. There is God's way, and there is the world's way. And you can go the world's way. I don't know why we're so dumb that we, we keep trying it, but you're going to crash, and you're going to burn, and you're going to get hurt, and you're going to hit the wall, and you're going to say, I don't know how I keep getting in this spot. Or there is God's way. And if you go God's way, guess what? In your marriage, in your finances, and how you treat people, how you do business, all these things, there is blessing in subscribing to God's way. That's the first thing. Second thing is this, there is comfort in, a, in enduring in obedience to God's way. 
The world may not like it. The world may not approve of it. But you know what? There's the comfort of saying, at least I know I'm right with God. At least I know I'm doing the right thing. The world may want to knock me out. But you know what? I, I know that this is what God has told us to do. And so I have that comfort. And then the third thing is this. God's blessings will always radically outweigh the world's approval. We get so worried about, man, we might offend somebody. We might upset somebody. That's not politically correct. We might make all the family mad at Thanksgiving uh, that, that we try to adapt to how we're going to think or act. Understand, God's blessings are always radically going to outweigh the world's approval. Are you going to try to approve, seek man's approval or God's approval? All right, let's go to the verses. Now here we go to the verses. First two verses together. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying. All right, now I want you to see this. Now, this audience is made up predominantly of disciples of Jesus. Now there were probably some curious people that came to listen now, there's some folks that probably don't know who Jesus is, that everybody's heading up this way. We're going to get in and go with them. But the, the predominant audience of this set of folks, they were disciples of Jesus Christ. It says that a great number, on this occasion, so many have heard, so many have responded that it is a great number uh, that follows Jesus to this mountain spot uh, to hear what he would say. Uh, this sermon is not telling them who he is, but instead, what's going to be required of them to follow him? So it's not uh, really an evangelistic message. It's not, uh, I am the Christ, I am your Savior, follow me. Uh, it is, this is what it looks like to follow me. Most of the crowd on the mountain that day were disciples of Jesus Christ. All right, here we go uh, in the actual Beatitudes, starting in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. These are going to fall in line. They're going to be one after another. Blessed, happy, in a favorable position are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, first thing, understand, poor in spirit doesn't refer to a poor-spirited person. It doesn't refer to a foul person or a depressed attitude. It is referring to a person that's actually humble enough to, to realize that their dependence is on God. And so this is not a person that says, man, I've got it all figured out. It's not a person that says, I, I'll take care of it myself. It's not a person that says, I'm strong enough to do it myself. It is a person that understands, I need a Savior. I need God. I fall short. And they're humble in spirit. They're poor in spirit. Um, think about God's way. God's way says, be humble. Admit you need a Savior. Um, in, your, in your spiritual bankruptcy, look to Christ and his spiritual riches. That's God's way, but the world says this, be bold, be brash, do it yourself, look out for number one. Uh, it's actually the opposite thing. I think about our world today, folks, uh, they're, 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 they're braggadocious, uh, they're bold, it's all about me and what I can do and look at me, and this person is the opposite. and says, you know what, I'm not able to do it and I need a Savior and I'm going to look to Christ. All right, let's go to verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Uh, in Luke, there's another version of this 
uh, called the Sermon on the Plain in Luke's version, uh, the Gospel of Luke, it says, blessed are those who weep. And so you can get the picture. This is a person who sits down and just cries. Uh, they, are, they are mourning, they are weeping. Uh, the, the word here for mourn means to be grieved or deeply saddened. Now, the reason that a disciple of Christ would mourn, uh, you could sum it up, there's a lot of reasons, uh, but, it, but it comes down to sin. Uh, sin brings death. Sin brings loss. Uh, sin brings regret. Um, there, sin has all these terrible consequences. Sin brings with it regret. Um, sin also brings evil with it, the evil things we see in the world. And so this person says, you know what? I'm tired of sin. I'm tired of death. I'm tired of sickness. I'm tired of the guilt of my sin, the consequence of my sin, the consequence of other sins, and they mourn over sin. I wish it weren't this way. I wish I'd have never done those things. I wish I could take those things back. And they're mourning over sin. As believers, we ought, to, we ought to mourn the evil state of the world. Sometimes we think, man, these people are all crazy. and Look at the things they do. We ought, we ought to be saddened by the crazy things that, that are happening. I was watching today, the, the Congress today is hearing testimony about why it's not prudent or good for men to play female sports. And I was watching these people coming from Harvard and all these places what planet do we need someone to tell us why that's not a good idea and why there are two genders and not gender on a spectrum? Uh, we ought to be saddened by the goofy, sad, terrible things that go on in our world. Well, here's, here's the deal. For those who mourn, this verse is a promise of comfort. Um, the word mourn or the word for comfort translates consoled or encouraged. So yes, things are, are, are tough, but we can be consoled or we can be encouraged. Here's, here's how that happens, twofold. First off, Jesus forgives us of our sin, and that's great comfort. I've messed up, I've failed, I knew what to do, and I didn't do it. I knew what I ought to stop doing, and I kept on doing it, and there is forgiveness in Jesus Christ. That ought to be comforting. There's comfort in Christ. The other part of that, it's twofold, is this. There is coming a day, and it's not far away from right here, when there's going to be no more sin and no more sorrow and no more sickness. The Bible says, for the former things will have passed away. And so you know what? If you're mourning over sin, you hate sin, you're sick of the, the consequence of it, number one, Christ forgives us of our sin. Number two, there's a day coming because of Christ when there'll be no consequence for sin. Verse five, blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Some translations say bless, or say meek. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Here's, here's what happens today. When people are gentle or meek, in our world they are considered weak or pushovers. Man, they're a pushover. They won't stand up. Um, the world, again, promotes this idea that success is being loud, success is being brash, being, being braggadocious. Now, those are the ones that are going to conquer the world. Those are the ones that are going to be successful. And if somebody is, is meek or quiet or gentle, uh, we think, man, they must be a pushover. Uh, be sure, here's what Christ is telling us. Gentle is not weak. In fact, it's the opposite of that. Do you know how much strength it takes 
to operate in self-control and say, you know what, I'm not going to get pulled into that with my mouth. I'm not going to get pulled into that with my anger. I'm not going to strike back. I'm going to be gentle. I'm going to be meek. I'm not going to seek to take revenge on everybody. That is actual strength. It takes strength to be kind and gracious in the face of all these circumstances. The Bible says these folks are the ones that are actually going to win at the game of life. Uh, Not going to be winning by brawn or by might, uh, but by their gentleness, by their meekness, it says they will inherit the earth. How are they going to inherit the earth? It is in gentle Christ-likeness. All right, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. What is righteousness? Kind of a big church word. You hear it. What does that mean? Uh, Righteousness, very simply, is the way of God. Uh, He, God himself, is infinitely righteous. Uh, Pieces of that or parts of that, uh, he is good, and he's going to do the good thing. He's not going to do a bad thing. He is just. And so justice is carried out. There's not, uh, there's not bribe taking. There's not uh, prejudice being expressed. He is just. He is fair. And so those are the ways, the thing, that's the character of God. And so those are the ways and the things of God. Well, Jesus says his disciples, those that follow him, they are actually going to hunger for the ways of God, for for justness, for righteousness. Um, The Greek word for hunger means to strongly desire, to need, to crave, or to seek in eagerness. Uh, The best picture I can can picture of that, um, if there is a person that hasn't eaten in two or three days, and I don't know what's happened, but they haven't been able to eat, uh, and, and they're famished, and all of a sudden there's something to eat, and they're starving, that, that is that idea. They are, they are hungry, they are yearning. Well, a follower of Christ is to desire the righteousness of Christ. Now, here's the deal with that. We do not have self-righteousness. We can't manufacture righteousness. That only happens in Jesus Christ. Only Christ is righteous. Uh, it is by faith in him that we are given the righteousness of Christ to wear uh, and it is filled with the Spirit of God that we begin to desire the righteousness uh, of, of Christ. Uh, he gives us his righteousness. Uh, we grow in our longing for his righteousness. And then the promise is, again, there's a day when every wrong is going to be set right and the world will be in exact righteousness. All right, verse 7. Watch verse 7. Verse 7 is very interesting. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Very simple. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Um, To be merciful, I I went to the original language, look it up. To be merciful is to extend compassion by giving relief. Now, I want you to hear that again. If a person is merciful, they extend compassion by giving relief. It's not to just be sympathetic. Well, man, that's bad. Uh, You've got that and that's bad. Uh, It's actually to try to do something about it, uh, to try to give them relief. And so to show mercy is to not only feel bad, but to help somebody out of it, to try to show them uh, some relief. Now, I want you to think about why I said watch this one. Uh, That is actually one of the hallmark traits of our God. And if you think about it, Uh, 
Now, that really is the essence of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He doesn't come and say, you've blown it. You're going to hell. What a terrible thing you've got to pay. He actually is merciful and gives us a remedy for it. He comes. He lives a life with no sin. He dies paying our penalty, and he's our risen Savior. That is actually the essence of the gospel. What if he just came and said, I, I'm sorry for y'all. I hurt for y'all. Man, it's tough the mess you've made. Um, and then just said, I, I can't help you with that. Uh, he doesn't do that. To show mercy, to be merciful, is to say, look, you know what? Not only are you going to find relief, but I'm the one that's going to give you relief. Um, Jesus' disciples should be actively seeking to provide relief for the hardships and the heartaches of others. Now, I want to explain that. Jesus' disciples should be actively seeking to provide relief for the hardships and the heartaches of others. What in the world does that mean? There is a version of the gospel. Uh, you, may, you may hear about it. You may have heard it titled, but you may have not called uh, the social justice gospel. And so these folks come along, and they see wrong things happening, and they think, you know what, what the, the mission of the church is or the mission of a believer is, is to go along and fix all the right, the, to go along and fix all the wrong things that are happening. Social justice, social justice gospel. And so they come along and say, we'll feed all the poor, we'll, we'll treat all the sick, we'll give out all the free stuff, we'll roof all the houses, we'll, we'll, we'll do this and we'll do this and we'll do this, and that's going to be uh, the mission of the church and the mission that we take from Jesus Christ. Now, listen, those are good things. We're actually told to do those things, but that's not the relief that people need. Watch this. The relief that people need is they need to know about Jesus. They need to know about the forgiveness of the sin that we have in Jesus. And so to come and run the greatest soup kitchen that's ever been but never lead people to faith in Jesus is a great travesty. Here's what we do as followers of Christ. We help, we serve, we're kind, we're gracious, we're loving, all with the mission to be able to say, you know what, there is a Savior and He has paid for your sins and there is hope in Him and, and you may be poor the rest of your life. You may never get over this sickness uh, the loss you've suffered, you may, you may ache in your heart forever, but I want to tell you where peace and hope and joy is found in the person of Jesus Christ. That is how we ultimately extend mercy uh, as did Christ. Think about that. When Christ ascended and goes to heaven, were there still poor people? The Bible says, yeah, you'll have poor people with you always. Were there still uh, terrible family situations? Yeah. Christ didn't come to set all those right on his leaving he came to give us the gospel of good news, the answer for all of those things until he comes back again. And so if we're going to look like Christ, be merciful like Christ, we're going to do those things seeking an opportunity to tell him about the Savior, to actually speak to him about Jesus. All right, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Uh, being pure in heart is um, it's different than righteousness. In righteousness, you're seeking for rightness. Uh, being pure in heart is actually seeking for yourself to exist in moral goodness. Uh, it is to actually desire what is good for you, what is good for others, um, and what is good in all situations. And it's actually desiring that. Um, sometimes we think, I want, I want the best for you, 
But you know what? There's a selfish reason behind it. Or maybe I have to say that. Or maybe there's some other motive tied to that. It's actually to be the type of hearted person that says, I want the best for me and I want the best for you and I want the best. I want good in every situation. It's seeking, longing for moral goodness. People are only able to have that kind of heart uh, as they have put their faith in Christ and taken on the heart of Christ. Um, Remember, one of my favorite set of verses, uh, it's in Psalm 51. Psalm 51, uh, David has committed adultery. David has had a guy killed. David has lied. Really, he's messed up everything. Uh, in, in Psalm 51, he comes and he, he go read that prayer. You ever just blow everything up? Uh, go read the prayer of David in Psalm 51. As part of that, he says, Create in me a clean heart, O Lord. Uh, the word create is, is the word ex nihilo, create, out of nothing, create, give me a new heart. Uh, we have a new heart, a Christ-like heart, uh, by trusting Christ, by walking with Christ. Um, our goal as a disciple of Christ is to actually hate sin and seek and long for moral goodness. Right, I want to I stop right there and, be, and just be practical for just a second. What things cause us to be pure-hearted or to have Christ-like hearts. Both of those things are interchangeable. What things cause us to have Christ-like hearts? Um, that's your goal. That's your, that's, your, that's your mission. Well, what things would make your heart like Christ? And I, I just wrote down a few things. First thing is this, be saved. Um, you're not going to have the heart of Christ unless you've trusted Christ. And sometimes I watch people that are crazy doing crazy things you know what lost people do? They act like lost people. And we go, I wonder why they do such crazy things. You know why they do it? Because they don't know Christ. So the first thing, if you want a heart like Christ, you have to have trusted Christ. Uh, you have to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. That happens when you trust Christ. Ephesians 1.13, we're sealed, filled with the Holy Spirit of God when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. As we do that, the Holy Spirit leads us into Christ-likeness, convicts us when we're not Christ-like. That's another thing. All right, then here are the things that we, we have to practically do. Uh, we have to spend time learning God's heart. How do we learn God's heart? Through the study of the Bible. And I can tell you this. We become more Christ-like in the process of reading the Bible, hearing the Bible, studying the Bible. Um, let me tell you this. I found this out over, over about 15, 18 years. Um, I need to be in the Bible. And I need to read the Bible. And it doesn't take many days out of the Bible and then old things start to pop back up. And, I, and I, you know what? I can be reading and I can, and I can, man, I can preach a whole series on Revelation and I can preach 100 days out of John. And in seven days of not reading my Bible, I can think, boy, I'd like to go tell that guy something over there and I need to pay that person back. And, that, and, and old, old things start popping back up. One of the ways that we become Christ-like is to know what the heart of Christ is. One of the ways we do that is in the consistent study of God's Word. Read the Bible, hear the Bible, study the Bible, be here tonight, be here Sunday. Um, another way is in prayer. Um, I, I've always said this, sometimes we're too flippant in what we think happens in prayer. If we are a praying person, as we're praying, seeking God's wisdom, seeking His empowerment, we grow in our Christ-likeness. Uh, one, of, one of the things I talk to folks that are getting married, married is, is telling them, 
Uh, probably probably the, the single greatest thing you can do in your marriage is learn to pray with your spouse. Um, it's hard. It's weird. Uh, it's, kind of, it's kind of embarrassing to say, hey, I'm gonna, we're going to start this, and I'm going to lead it, and, and we're going to do this thing. But here's what I figured out. I don't think, and I may be wrong, but I don't think this. I don't think you'll cheat on somebody you prayed with that morning. And I don't think you'll beat up somebody you prayed with that morning. And I don't think you'll run them down at their work and talk bad about them. That old sorry guy ain't worth two cents. I don't think you'll do that if you prayed with them that morning. And I think a whole lot of things become more Christ-like when we spend time in prayer. So one of the things, spend time in prayer. Here's another one we might not think about, and that is our associations. I've said this 10 times in 10 different Bible studies. People are pack-driven, and we like to think we're individuals, and I don't, I don't go with the crowd. I'm an individual. Here's what we do. We are pack-driven, and the people we are around, the people we are close to greatly impact us, which means this. If they're all going that way, you might think you're tough. You're not tough, and you'll end up going that way. The language they use, the responses they have, I need to be deliberate about finding people that want to follow Christ, talk like Christ, walk with Christ, and it doesn't take too many people to get in my car and say, well, yeah, what about, and I think, yeah, I think about that too. And you just turn and go a whole different direction. Your associations absolutely matter. So you want to have a Christ-like heart, you got to trust Christ, fill with the Holy Spirit of God, submitting to him. Uh, you got to spend time in God's word. You need to spend time in prayer. Uh, and you need to be careful about your associations. All right, moving on, verse 9. That almost turned into a whole sermon right there. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. A peacemaker, by definition, is one who seeks to build, facilitate, promote, keep, and restore harmony. As I was writing that out, I kept adding words um, to restore harmony. Sometimes there's not harmony, and a peacemaker has to go and, and, and facilitate, bring back harmony. A peacemaker is one who seeks to build, facilitate, promote, keep, and restore harmony. The world, watch this, encourages division, strife, and the escalation of conflict. I don't care what you say. You go to any corporation, you go over to the high school, you go to any assembly grouping of people, and people start splitting into groups. And this group's better than that group, and this group doesn't like that group, and my group's for sure better than your group. And we love division. Did you hear what they said about you? You're going to let that stand? And we start to start trouble. We like trouble. And, and, and division is the way of the world. Uh, factions, that's the way, the, the method of the world. Um, we are Christ-like when we lead people to peace. His disciples, those trying to follow him as disciples, here's what we ought to do. Let me give you a couple of practical things. We ought to evaluate every word that we speak and ask the question, does this bring peace? Does this bring peace? Let me tell you, the greatest, probably the greatest instrument for peace is just, it's in Proverbs, just shut up. Just shut up. Don't say another word. Don't add to the fight. Don't get your one punch in. Just be quiet. Just, just be quiet. And that's one of the great peacemaking things you can do. You're at home and, and this is not going too good. I got, I got one more jab I'm going to say. I got to bring up your mother. I'm going to talk to you about her. Just shut up. Just be quiet. Uh, evaluate every word. Evaluate every response. Does this lead to peace? Um, or does it do the opposite? All right, verse 10. 
Blessed are those, listen to this, who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Here's all these people. Woo, what a movement we got. The hill's full of people. And then he says this, we're going to do all the things the world hates. We're going to do all the things that are opposite of what the world approves of. And then he says this, and blessed are you happy, those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is very upfront. For those who follow him, the world is not going to like it. The world is going to hate it to the extent that they're going to persecute the person that tries it. Do you know if you try to live in a Christ-like manner, it's going to offend people. They think they're better than everybody else. They're, they're, they're judgmental. Oh, they're so judgmental. You ought to try being a Baptist preacher and see what people say. If you try to live a Christ-like life, world hates it. world can't stand it. But you know what? Jesus is up front. This is a theme that Jesus is going to talk to us all the way through Scripture about. And if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. John chapter 15, verse 18. He tells them the truth, yet he also gives them a word of encouragement. Uh, the kingdom of heaven, which has no division, which has no factions and no fighting, and exists in the joyous presence of Jesus. It is coming, and that is the disciples' reward. All right, it goes on, verse 11. Happy, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. He tells us what's going to happen in verse 10. He makes it personal in verse 11. In verse 11, the nature of the attacks is made known. Now, I want you to watch this. I, I can tell you 100% this is true. The world hates the truth. The world hates the truth. Yet, the truth will stand. The truth is the truth. You ever notice the person that's lying is the one who always gets caught in the jam. The truth will stand. The world hates the truth. The truth will stand. And so the only option the world has is to take out the truth speaker. Can't take out the truth. The truth's going to stand. And so I've got to go find the person that's standing on the truth, proclaiming the truth, preaching the truth, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to lie about them. I'm going to slander them. I'm going to tear them down. I'm going to cast doubt on them. Now, that's, that's what the world does. Now, let me tell you what happens in that. It's actually double trouble. Lies and insults. That's what it says. <laughs> Lies and insults. That's going to be the method. Lies and insults not only discourage the speaker, and so they go, that's not true. I don't know why they're saying that. That's not true. It doesn't only discourage the speaker, but it also robs the speaker of their validity, which means this. Well, you know what I heard about them? Well, I heard some other things about them. Well, I don't care what they have to say. I don't want to hear what their message is. I've heard these things about them. And so it not only discourages the speaker of truth, it robs the validity out from under the speaker of truth. It is actually the ploy of Satan. What does Satan do? He lies and he slanders and he causes mistrust. That is the way of Satan. That's what happens in verse 11. All right, verse 12. If you find yourself in that position, rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 
Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus tells these disciples, their, their result, their, their attitude, their response, it should not be fear. Hey, we're going to go actually opposite of the world. It shouldn't be fear. Uh, it shouldn't be anger. It shouldn't be discouragement. He says, your response should be joy. Now, let me explain that. The world's response is proof that the person is such a reflection of Christ that it brings their hatred. And so when you're experiencing these things, be glad because you're looking like Christ enough that it's upsetting the world, as did the prophets who were before us. They stood for the truth. They spoke the truth. And many of them got chopped up, got their heads cut off. Uh, Jesus got crucified for standing on the truth. The reason we ought to be glad is because we're so closely associated with Jesus that we look so much like Jesus that the world hates us the way it hurted, the way it hated Jesus. I want to point out something right here. So here's this hill. Um, I, I think it's interesting when I was in school, I, I read this and think, Woo, this is awesome, and, and here we go. Um, I, I had a professor, and he was, he was trying to put together a timeline of what happens in Jesus' ministry. And, and I don't know how, how exact this is, but he says the crowds are growing, and the crowds are growing, and the crowds are growing until there was some point when they weren't growing. And, and he thinks maybe it was this, this event. You're going to have to go against the world. You're going to be hated by the world. There's going to be persecution because you're going to walk against the world. And he said most likely the crowd was great walking up on the hill, but it got a whole lot smaller when they walked off that hill. And I, I wonder, do folks say, well, I've got, I got a farm somewhere I'm going back to. I got a, I got a job somewhere. I don't need this. I don't, I've already got enough problems without stirring up the world. But most likely the crowd was a lot smaller leaving this hill when, when they gathered on it. However... There were some folks in this crowd, I like to see this, who actually heard it and were impacted by it. Watch this. There was a couple of guys in this crowd that heard what Jesus said, and then listen to this. Here's what they did. It says, and they took his advice. Now, these, these are the Jewish leaders. And after calling the apostles in, they flogged them. Now, they, they took a whip and whipped them across the back. They, they beat the putty out of them. They flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then released them. This is in Acts chapter 5. Listen to this. These guys were in this crowd. So they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. They didn't, they didn't get discouraged. They didn't get defeated. As they walked off with their beat up backs, they gave each other a high five and said, we were kind of worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. They heard what Jesus was teaching in this message. I'm going to read through a couple questions just to think about as we leave, and then I'm going to say a word of prayer. We'll be dismissed. Here's a couple things to think about. What does it say that many believers 
are still seeking to fit in rather than to stand out. To follow Christ causes you to stand out. And we got a whole lot of folks that say, I don't want to upset folks, I want to get along. Here's another question. What does it say that many Christian churches seek the applause of the world? We want the neighbors to like us. We want the world to brag on us. We want to be the most popular church on this block. And, and there's a whole lot of churches that are looking not for the approval of God, but the applause of the world. Here's another question. Do you think we make it clear the costs and expectations of being a disciple of Jesus? I think sometimes we're guilty, and I know some folks more than others, of saying, if you follow Christ, your life's going to be awesome. You're not going to have any problems. Everything's going to be great. And we don't tell folks, you know what? Life is still hard, and the consequences of sin are still out there. And if you follow Christ, it's going to stir up some folks. I think Jesus is very clear saying this is what it's going to bring. Here's the last question. Do we somehow think this lesson relates more to their generation than to our generation? And what I mean by that is don't you read that and go, boy, I hope they did good, but I hope they, I hope they stood up. Or do we not understand this is our day again? These things are exactly the opposite of the world. They're just as, if not more, hated by the world, and this is our call as well. If you're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, which means you've trusted him, you're going to have to walk as Christ has commanded. And in that, here's what God says, you will be happy. That's where happiness is found. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. I'm going to ask if you'll stand, and we'll be dismissed. Glad you're here today. Dear Heavenly Father, we come, we're thankful for your truth. And I'm thankful that tonight our kids and our young adults are hearing the truth that the world's way ends in heartache, in pain, in chaos. And there is a way that leads to happiness. And the world's not for it. But we have to decide, are we going to seek the approval of man or are we going to seek the approval of God? God, help us to be the type of disciple uh, who hunger and thirst for your righteousness that we're peacemakers in the place we go, uh, that, that we seek moral purity in our, in our actions, in our thoughts, in our attitudes. Uh, Lord, that we're, that we're meek, that we're gentle in our dealings, uh, that we're prepared to stand whatever the cost, and most of all, that we will be closely associated with you. Lord, tonight I pray for the folks here, pray for those listening in another way, another means tonight, uh, and then we just pray that together we've drawn, drawn closer to you and look more like you. I trust this to you, and I pray in Christ's name, in Jesus' name, amen.